Good afternoon and welcome to the Top 10% Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Carter. Today is January 25th, 2022. This week we are going to do a Coyote Roundtable. Got a few of our team members uh, coming on with us today. We'll get uh, more introduction to them, but uh, stay tuned about uh, everything Coyote. <laughs> Bro, I just shot T-Bar. This episode of the Top 10% Podcast is brought to you by Top 10% Hunting Headquarters, located in Coldwater, Michigan, your premier AR manufacturing outlet. Let's get back to your host, Dan Carter, of the Top 10% Podcast. Welcome back to the Top 10% Podcast. I am again your host, Dan Carter, and this week we are going to do a Coyote Roundtable with a few of our team members. We've got Jay and uh, Pamela. And Randall on with us, um, all team top 10%. So I'm going to, before we get into the nitty gritty on coyotes and uh, a bunch of things in regards to that, I'm going to let each one of them introduce themselves, give you a little bit of bio on them. Uh, let's have Jay go first. Uh, Jay, welcome. How's it going there, Dan? It's good, man. So yeah, I'm Jay, Jay Flint. Um been with top 10 percent for probably going on 10 years now um and that's actually how scott and kyle found me was i was killing a bunch of coyotes in michigan at night with lights and actually killing a bunch of them in the daytime but now it's just strictly night and thermal as you know <laughs> right right so we'll probably spin but, into a little bit of that more um i know kind of that tied into our land management side i'm sure absolutely yep okay all right, um, so we'll get back to you here in just a minute. Uh, I guess we'll go uh, with uh, either you, Randall, or Pamela next, and whichever one chime on in. Sure, I'll jump in. I'm Pamela, um, Pamela Chazinski. I have joined and been with Top 10 for about a year now. Um, been hunting all my life, but um, I was introduced and brought on by some local buddies that I um, hunt with, my brother for one, and then friends that I've been you know, hunting with my life. So, um, they were, they were part of it for a few years before me. And then I came on with them. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, as, uh, as we all know, but, uh, you're strong in the coyote side and, and other aspects of the hunting, correct? Yep. Yep. Definitely into coyote. Um, that's kind of what brought me into to top 10 was getting into the coyote side, which, like I said, I've been in for about a year now, so still learning, but definitely hooked and pumped to learn more. Awesome. Awesome. And last but not least, Randall, why don't you uh, jump in and uh, tell us a little bit about you? How's it going, Dan? How's everybody doing? Good, uh, good. Randall Vanover from Monroe. Uh, I've been with Top 10 for going on probably seven years now. I originally uh, got involved with Top 10 um, through a relationship with Scott, but on the deer hunting side, and it's uh, 
it's it's transitioned into a lot of coyote still still deer hunting's my passion but uh, the, i've been hunting and killing coyotes now this would be probably my fifth year i'm pretty sure so awesome awesome well we might as well start right there on that side of it you kind of alluded to it and all of us are deer hunters um, mm-hmm. myself included, which everybody's probably gathered that from other podcasts and everything else. Um, but the coyotes, you know, there's some fawn killers and, and it's a process of in the land management side of it is us just eliminating them from eliminating our deer herd. So let's talk, I guess, Randall and, uh, Jay specifically on how that started with you guys leaning from the deer side and going into this, we we need to kill some coyotes. Well, it started with me actually was <clears throat> I hunted my grandma's property for almost 20 years and it was going on two weeks. I had no deer, absolutely zero would wow. not see a single deer in the tree stand. And remind you, I would see 20 to 30 deer a night. And finally, somebody mentioned, hey, you probably got coyotes, you know, and I didn't have trail cameras. Like I said, this was years ago. You know, I didn't have trail cameras set up or nothing yet. And uh, I went to I think it was Walmart and I got a flex tone dying rabbit call and a howler. And (laughs) it was muzzleloader season for deer season. And I sat in my tree stand and I actually had two yearlings come to, you know, come out and. It was like clockwork. They left, they got scared, took off. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder if that's coyotes. So I grabbed that dying rabbit and I squealed on that thing. And here they came. No, you know, probably 45 seconds later, I shot the one, the other one took off running into the woods. I grabbed that squealer again, reloaded the muzzle loader, actually pulled the other one back out and shot it. Wow. And from that moment I was like hooked. But what's crazy is, I was out of bullets and I had to have my buddy come because that second one I shot was still alive. And I walked up probably about five feet from it and just stared it down for about 20 minutes until my buddy got there and put another round in him. So mm. it was a pretty crazy experience for me to start hunting them. And I was hooked from there on out. I just took it under my wing and started gaining properties and helping people out, killing them. Yeah. It's kind of an addiction once you, get in on that side it, it presents a whole different yeah it presents a whole different type of hunting especially when you get into the night side and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later here but uh Randall how yeah. about you yeah mine was a little different than Jay's obviously I was I was strictly deer I mean I, you learn something you learn something about deer hunting every year and I just didn't focus on anything else but what got me really started is I started turkey hunting um and the run and gun aspect of turkey hunting and not just sitting in the stand for hours on a day um, really intrigued me. And and then I started thinking about the, all the coyotes that I have seen over the years setting in trees. Sure. Um, and, and that is kind of what got me driven into coyote hunting, the run and gun aspect of it. And, and being able to also just get uh, the, uh, as many coyotes out of my area as possible for our deer. Right. I agree with you. I think there's uh, there's something to be said about the quick and the ability to get back in the truck and warm your toes between sets sometimes can be <laughs> advantageous too. So um, I'll give Pamela now 
I know you said you haven't been in the the coyote game as long, um, but tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about how you got started. I know obviously other types of hunting as well. So, sure, sure, yep. So I mean, like I said, I was kind of linked in with my brother. Um, it, it started for for him and I guess our family in a sense because um, one with hunting, we obviously saw him in the tree stand quite often. Um, but but really, what happened on our side was um, a coyote snatched one of my sister's little dogs out of her backyard. Mm. So once that happened for her, um, we just, it kind of brought light to the situation a little bit more. And, um, so then he started hunting and once he got, um, his, his night scope and I looked through that, I was hooked. I mean, literally the next day I was like, okay, where do I get one of these things? So, um, that, that kind of got me hooked and brought on. And then of course, when we went out and we did our first set, it was, it was, you know, the adrenaline, the, you know, the difference between, like you said, moving in between sets. Um, I'm pretty passionate about elk hunting. So that's something like, like Randall was saying, you know, not being, you know, sitting in the stand, there's something about that, obviously to relax, but there's something about moving too. That's also good. So, um, it's, it's just a combination, you know, it's a necessity. And then on top of that, you know, it's, it's, it's an adrenaline rush and it's got a pump too. So, right. Right. Yeah. And we get to play some pretty cool guns like our six millimeter yeah. arc and everything else and, and all this thermal and night vision stuff that we'll get into here in just a minute. So I guess let's talk about these multiple sets. Let's talk about this run and gun type of situation with coyotes and you know, how, how does one, you know, I'm going to pretend like I don't know anything about it for a minute, but how does, how does one like, I guess if they were going to get into coyotes, I mean, you guys tell me what, what are we looking for when we show up you know, obviously we know you got to have coyotes to kill coyotes. We know that. Correct. And that's probably the first and foremost thing there. But after that, what are we looking for? Are, you know, you guys tell me I'm chime in any of you. So what I've noticed is if you hold deer on your property, if you have deer around more than likely there's coyotes around because, you know, just like, you know, I'm a huge deer hunter, like everybody knows, but, I have multiple landowners that I hunt that will not let me coyote hunt until deer season is over. Yeah. And remind you, I just posted a video on my TikTok the other day where we're out there coyote hunting and there's over a hundred deer in the field just staring at us. They don't care. And I have multiple videos of coyotes running through these deer, you know, close by them. And it's just, I don't know. It's to be honest, I, I don't know. I just, the properties and things like what I say is you got to have property for one and you got to know, like you said, coyotes are there. But like I said, if there's deer, you see a lot of deer and that's another thing, deer hunting, you know, you're in a stand, pay attention. You see coyotes more than likely you're going to have coyotes there to come back and hunt after deer season's over. Okay. I agree. I think if, if you see one on stand, you, you should know that you've probably got, you know, a half a dozen more that we're not seeing. Absolutely. And and they're they're predators by, by nature too. And I think that's something that a lot of people, unless they're out late hours of the night, they don't see coyotes crossing the road or, or anything. They're, they're aware that we have a deer population and they may be aware of, you know, other types of wildlife, but they don't see the coyotes as much until they're right there in the heart of their environment, whether it's turkey hunting, deer hunting, goose hunting, you name it. So how about, uh, Pamela Randall, any, anything else you would add to that? Any particulars that you look for when you're trying to find a place to 
you know, go after. Go ahead, Pamela. Yeah, I mean, we obviously we like to have, you know, the, the openness of the field for, for shooting purposes. But, you know, there's got to be tree lines there, too, because they do like to have um, a sense of security as well. So when looking for property specifically, um, you know, you want you want to make sure that you have, you know, good shooting lanes and, you know, a field in a sense so that you can safely, you know, identify and take on your target. But they have to have a sense of comfort, too. So the the woods around it is a necessity as well. Right, right. Yeah, I, I agree with, I, I start off with Jay, like I, if I'm looking, if I'm looking to, to get more properties, first off, is there deer on, on the properties? Secondly, I'm going to go up with touch on what Pamela kind of said. Um, you got to have, you got to have some woods. You got to have, um, obviously we're long range shooting. That's, that's what I'm into anyway. So you got to have some field, tree line, uh, creeks. So pretty much everything they've touched on, that's what I'm looking for when it goes to, to trying to find more property to hunt coyotes. Okay. I would agree with you guys, all of you. I think the only thing I would add as well that I like to look for is access, you know, especially looking at certain places. I, I like the fields. I like to be able to get in at, at certain times. And then with, with a mix of, and we'll just spin right into that when we start looking for, you know, we've got the property now and now we're, we're headed out and we're going to make a stand and, or, you know, a set, depending on what part of the country, that'll be what it's called. But the, you're looking at it and my first determination, and you guys can back me on this is, is wind, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to determine where we're at and what we're doing. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I guess you guys can run with it a little bit from there. So, well, that's, that's so I'll start. And with that, I actually have all my properties I hunt by the winds. So it's like, you know, if I, if I know I'm going to hunt that one night and I know it's a Northeast wind, I know exactly what properties I can go hunt. I don't even think about hunting any of my other properties. How do you keep track of that that way, Jay? Is that something that you're putting in Onyx by just wind direction so, that makes it yeah. horrible? Okay. So I do have it all on Onyx, but I also have a journal that I keep with, I mean, it's a complete log sheet. I have all my properties, and then in the same folder, I have all these, um, a whole bunch of different papers with um, each category is like the sex of the coyote, the wind, the pressure. You know, I have a chart, and I keep track of every coyote I shoot. Okay. It kind of like, and we dial into it just as in-depth, maybe even a little bit more in-depth than we do when it comes to the deer stuff. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Randall, Pamela, how about you guys? They take set uh, definitely one step more than me, I guess. <laughs> I know the properties that we have to hunt, and when we decide we're going out uh, first day and night of coyote hunting, um, we'll get a game plan on what properties we're actually going to hunt, and then I will determine if there's spots, if there's places that we could actually set up on those properties due to right. the wind. So, Kind of the same thing, but I kind of wing it a little more because we bounce from area to area. You know, this weekend we might hunt this area, and next weekend we might hunt this area. So, right, I kind of, I kind of do what Jay's talking about, but he's he's definitely got it on another level than than we do. Okay. Yeah, we do the same thing. Um, you know, each property obviously we have it on Onyx, 
And um, depending on, you know, the wind will set up in different locations. Um, luckily, with most of our properties, we can set up according to the wind and, and you know, bounce from spot to spot, depending on that. But um, we also have a book that we log and um, we'll, we'll kind of try to make the most of the night. We'll, we have it kind of mapped out, like here, here are the... Um, here's the shortest route from property to property. So we kind of hit each property and then set up accordingly at the property. Um, okay. But we do track as well, you know, the, the temperature. And we, we also track like what um, calls that we used when we were at the property because they're, you know, they're wise animals. You got to keep track of that. You don't want to go back there and try the same, you know, the same calls each time. Right. Yeah. We, that, that's, that's a good point. And I think we, we can get into some calls and things of that nature here in just a few minutes, but I, is there a particular wind that you guys prefer? Do you prefer something, you know, light? Are you looking for 10 mile an hour last, 15 mile an hour land, you know, last? I know obviously the, the distance the call travels and, you know, these animals are incredible and the things that they hear, what is it like a mouse at 1200 yards or something they say, but something, yeah, uh, it's, it's nuts, but is there a better, or would you just say less wind is better? To a certain personally, point, because I don't for, like it still. <laughs> for, me, uh, for me personally, I like anywhere from, say, four miles per hour till under, you know, say, 12 miles per hour. Okay. Um, anything over that gets a little, you know, cautious, just like deer. They get cautious, you know right. what I mean? Their senses get a little off, you know, and quiet, crispy, you know, it's hard getting to your sets. Right. Right. Okay. I, I agree with Jay, but I, I'd say, I mean, just for, for everybody, basic numbers, five to 15 mile an hour. I mean, you gotta yep. have to have some wind. I mean, to, to cover up maybe whatever obstacles or mistakes you make yourself, you just got to have something. It, 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 no wind is not as, is not a good situation in, in my mind. No, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree too. I think it's one of those things where mm-hmm. these, uh, these coyotes are super, super smart. And, you know, like I said, their eye detection and, and their noses and everything else is intense compared to, you know, whitetail and, and other species that we regularly hunt, you know, and I always thought whitetail were super wise, which they are until you start chasing these things and you realize this is pretty incredible. And also case goes back to like watching the old roadrunner and Wiley coyote things you're like man how did this guy's super smart how did he never catch this bird <laughs> but nonetheless so let's go uh we'll spin into the call side of that now we've covered some wind stuff and you know we've got a set you know i mean what what are we thinking when you walk into a set and i know this depends kind of what pamela you had alluded to is what you called last time when you were there last time what whether a landowner called and said they seen dogs you know regularly or recent but what what kind of you know call sequences without getting too in depth yeah so we normally will start off with something a little more you know soft like mouse squeaks or something of that nature and then depending on responses that we get whether they're you know they're talking to us or not then from there we'll we'll adjust um so we normally like i said start with you know softer less aggressive calls and then we tend to end with our more aggressive you know yelps and howls and challenges okay i mean i would agree with that too i mean obviously i know jay you and i've talked about this and and randall you're going to vouch for the same thing i think a lot of times too when you hunt an area that you know you might have some fox 
and it's that time of year, um, you know, you, you, you don't want to just go in there with a, you know, a, a big blazing howl sometimes. But then again, Correct. you could be right on top of coyotes too. So that soft, subtle sound, you know, will bring them out of the fence row, you know, that night. But, uh, okay, Randall. So actually, to, to follow up right with what you just said, um, the other night when I shot those five coyotes, right? Right. Um, the first property we went to, I literally, it, it's the, I went with a buddy. He, his property backs up to it. So we called the farmer, you know, and the farmer's like, yeah, go kill him. You know, let's go get the coyotes or the fox, whatever you're after. Right. He kept getting two pictures of a pair of fox that kept coming to his trail camera multiple times during the day and night. So he's like, dude, I guarantee we can go get these fox. <laughs> I set up and I literally called baby cottontail. And, and, and if anybody knows me, I do not run rabbit collar on my e-collar at all. Ever. I was going to say, that's kind of a strange <laughs> one for you, problem. right? <laughs> I don't. It's just, so, I don't do it. <laughs> and literally I had it. I, I played a few different ones. I had, I, and, and then I even, you know, the only rabbit sound I do is with my hand call. That's mm-hmm. the only, you know, rabbit squall I'll do. Which but is just a general I did that distress. For 16 minutes. Yeah. I did one female howl and another sequence. And it was two minutes later, I had a triple within 150 yards of me. They were hung up literally 400 yards away in a little probably three-acre thicket. Hmm. Okay. And they did not budge to any rabbit sound. Not one. As soon as that owl went out and I put on a like a almost like a coyote dominance kind of sound. They came, they came right, right there. I mean, as soon yeah. as I turned around, they were right on top of us. Somebody's in their territory and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. And, and Jay's got obviously a lot more experience with that. But if I, if I had to say what I'm calling or what I'm going to use is going is, is weather related. Um, if we got a bunch of snow on the ground. I'm, I'm probably going to use distress calls. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that when you've got snow on the ground, it makes their life a lot harder. And if you can create them um, an easier meal, they're going to come to it. Um, uh, like, like when we shot our double, um, was it the, uh, about five weeks ago, we went out and shot a double. That night, it happened to be snowing, snowing really, really good here around uh, Washtenaw County. And th- that's what we actually, that's what I actually killed those that double on was was running a rabbit. I started off real on a lower aspect with a rabbit distress and uh and rotated it in and out for about five minutes, took about a five minute break and then turned it back on. And within two minutes, turning the volume up one volume, just raised the volume a little bit on the second, on the second round, mm-hmm. uh, I, had, I had a coyote pop out and it uh, wasn't very long after that, the second one joined in, but I could not get them out of the tree line on the rabbit distress. Uh, I kind of went into a little, uh, well, I got to change this up. And I did, I went to a woodpecker call and that's, it only took about 30 seconds of that playing and, and they charged right into the call. But you know, like weather, weather would dictate probably what I'm calling for the night. Okay. Yeah. I've noticed too, like after, and, and you guys can vouch for me uh, on this one a little bit too, is I've noticed after a front, you say we have a really hard, you know, storm front that comes through for a day or two. And then you get that, calm variable wind the next day that next night it's usually the distress calls have a tendency to work a little bit better for me 
you know, they seem to really bring them out. A lot of times I'm having to do, like you're saying, Randall, I have to make some changes and, and stuff of that nature. Um, you know, just because they're, you know, these things are smart and, you know, there's a lot of coyote hunting pressure around nowadays. Um, a lot of guys out there that they've watched a video and they think that, you know, the rabbit distress call is, is, is the only call, you know, and, and that's yeah. what everybody's running. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Jay, about not using it. And, and I kind of lean that way too. It's not normally my call of choice, I, you know, unless I, I'm running on a hand call as well. Uh, Pamela, how about you guys? You know, I know you kind of alluded to the the mouse squeaks at, at first, but if you get coyotes that hang up, since we're on a couple hung up coyotes right now, what are you, what's your go to? What are you thinking? Yeah, so we've had we've had several sets where you know, like you said, they're hung up in the the tree line, you can't get them out. We've had pretty good luck with doing like pup distress or something of that nature to kind of get them get them moving. And like you said, if they're held up and the squeaks aren't working, then you you switch you switch it up. And like you had mentioned. Um, about like them you notice after a storm or you know whatever you'll have better luck with some of the other smaller squeaks and stuff and I think that just goes back to the logic of you know and the wind right us saying like high winds aren't good that normally keeps most um you know of their prey hung up and and in so the next day they're coming out hungry they didn't hunt as much the, the night before so I think that's a lot of the reason why after a storm um you'll you'll get better luck with that yeah, I mean, it's it, traditionally any wildlife is more active after right. after a front exactly. like that. For you know, and I mean, that could go the same for fishing and things of that nature too. But um, okay, so now we got a good idea as far as like where we're going to start. But let's give me a little bit more of a rundown of, of like how how your night would play out if um, you know you've got a couple properties you want to hit and you're you're going to go out there and say it starts off good and the coyotes are responsive you know, the first set, maybe you, you kill a couple coyotes and, and now they're taking a ride with you to the next one. What happens when you get to that next set and, or maybe the third set and nothing, it just is like somebody flipped a switch. Maybe moonlight comes out. Maybe it was cloudy in the first set and you get a moonlight that that's kind of causing a, a slowdown. Give me, give me some different scenarios, guys, run me through what you might do in a troublesome situation. So in that situation, I, you know, I know we talked about a couple there several sorry. times when, you know, especially me and Joe running tournaments, you know, we're notorious for going out in one night and hammering, you know, seven or nine, 10 coyotes in a night. But that's the thing is some nights you have just crappy nights where they're just not responsive, no matter where you go. And, uh, you know, and that's another thing is I keep track of the time that I've shot coyotes, heard coyotes and, you know, on certain properties because, Joe, you know, Joe can vouch for this, too. If, you know, you, you know, anyone knows Joe, um, I have a, a couple properties that I've taken Joe to that him and I have never, ever, ever killed. Mm. But it's the times I have taken him because him and I hunt a little bit earlier than you know, cause he's got a family. So he likes to try to get out, you know, earlier and home sooner. So we'll go earlier. And from some of these spots, they're just not active to me in that time. Sure. And just like the other night, I, me and Joe went hunted, um, before the first, we hunted the property, nothing, not a single howl. I just went there the other night and killed a double within 10 minutes, you know, but him and I hunted it at like nine o'clock 
I was there at almost, you know, two, I was there at like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, you know, after. So it's a lot of it is time and stuff like that too. Okay. That's where I, logging comes in is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, yep. I think it's, I pay attention to a lot of times where I get them showing up on trail cameras or different things at different yep. properties. And, and I look at that and go, okay, there's coyotes here and they're showing up between the hours of, you know, eight o'clock and 10 o'clock. I know I need to be here, you know, for maybe this is my first set of the night or, or what I'm going to do from that aspect. But, um, I think like you said, Jay, I think there's, there's nights where they're just not responding. And a lot of times Correct. even you get, they're not vocal and you're not getting vocal right. responses, but they're still coming in. Sometimes. Yeah. I, I mean, we've had nights where we don't hear them or see them, you know, we've had just non-active nights completely. Like I've, I've gone, you know, four blank sets and that's, I'm, and after that, I'm like, I'm calling it a night. Right. Cause you know, it's, it's just, it, to me, it's not happening. I should have at least heard or seen coyotes within four sets. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Do you think that there's a trend in certain, you know, do you feel like you run the same kind of calls and Randall, you can chime in on this Pamela too. It, do you feel like when you run, uh, say we run two or three sets and, and you have a sound that is just like, it's killing it. Do you stay with that sound through each of those sets? Is that how, like, if you make your first two sets and, and you kill off of, you know, a certain distress call, do you stay with that distress call or do you still mix it up just based on what you're doing in your log or what, what happened last time or, you know, elaborate a little bit. I'll let them touch down on it and then I'll touch down on one. Cause I don't like to give away too much of my info, but I'll just a hint. My favorites have been the same favorites in my selection for the last three years. And I use the same sounds at every single property I go to on the same exact route i start with the same howl and i go through the same list of calls i would do at every property every time i go out yeah you're kind of on the same page as me i run a pretty strict yep but i mean it varies from time to time or i'll go somewhere that's new and it seems like it's not working and then i had one the other night that was 40 minutes in and i'm like i'm done um, but let me try this and then next thing you know i got a dog in my lap so it it was it was kind of a weird scenario but it was yeah. my stuff wasn't working and yep. just a change and here you go and here you know all of a sudden you got a coyote coming from a long ways away that's 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 on top of you so randall well, pamela and well i'll let randall go real quick too but just to touch back on the what you were just talking about is blank sets so mm-hmm. that is when i will switch up my call sequence is if i go like say three blank sets and i go do a fourth set I will literally change my call sequence because I, I, it might be me calling, you know, sure. and they might not want any of that I'm throwing at them that night. So I do try something different, but yeah, it takes me at least three sets to change what I'm doing. Okay. That was exactly what I was getting ready to say, Jay. Like I, I'm, I'm going to use the same, but if I, if I get, if I, if I go out and then I'm getting blanketed after, after two or three sets, um, and I know I'm going to do a couple more sets, and I will switch up and try as well. And that's what I—you—you I, you took the words right out of my mouth. That—that's pretty much how I run every time we go out. Sorry, Randall. I should have let you speak. No, that's <laughs> you're going to probably word it better than me. So I mean, you're right on point with it, though. That's exactly how I—that's what I do. That's good. Pamela, anything you want to add? 
Uh, I mean, no, you guys pretty much hit it. I mean, yeah, if something's working, we stick with it. I mean, we're not going to change off of it if it's working. Um, I definitely know too, like if we, we move faster, especially in the, in the tournament side, right? Like, um, we, we might start off with something a little less aggressive, but if we notice that, you know, the end of our call sequence was what got them moving, like we will move to that quicker. We won't sit on something for 10, 15 minutes. We'll, we'll jump through it quicker. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. So you, you, we've heard a couple of mentions about tournaments and things, um, on that side of it. So I know you guys, all of you have, uh, teams in a big tournament coming up here. Um, the great lakes tournament here that's coming up this, uh, this coming weekend. We wish all you guys luck and representing top team on or top 10 on that, uh, with the team. Um, but with that, Pamela, you alluded to this we speed everything up when we hunt tournaments. I mean, I know we're trying mm-hmm. to get as many sets in as we can. What is, are you guys 30 and out? Are you 20 and out? Is it, I, I, Jay, I know your answer on this. So <laughs> I'll let, I'll let these guys we, go first. We, yeah. On tournaments, you know, we, we tend to move quicker, obviously, but we, we also try to stay conscious to give the field a chance. Um, I wouldn't say that we're 20 and out really on anything unless it's a field that we haven't necessarily killed much on or the timing didn't necessarily line up because with tournaments, of course, you're, you're trying to hit as many fields as you can through the, the evening. And um, so you're, you're routing, you, you know, ahead of time and doing a bunch of legwork ahead of time. And um, if it's a field that just kind of doesn't line up with the time, but we still want to give it a chance. Yes, we'll move through it quicker, but um, we have some fields that, that produce for us pretty much every time. And those ones we might give a little bit more time at just because we, we know that we typically can pull a dog off of it. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's a, that's good input. You know, I've done some things in the past where even we circle back to an, you know, I hate to say this, but we circle back to a property yeah. later on that yeah. alludes to what Jay said earlier about, I know that property can produce and yep. I'll go back to it. I might hit it first and then I might hit it again. It might be my last set of the night or second to the last set that night, or I might be back at it at a different time the following night if it's a weekend long tournament. So it, oh, yeah. it, it's kind of weird how that plays out and, and which is crazy because we normally are like, uh, let's give this a break and we don't want to call something or overcall it if you will. But, um, well, I guess I look at it a little differently. When, when we're doing a tournament, I try to lay out our properties, uh, to where I'm hunting properties real close, not real close, not a mile down the road, but in my areas, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get to my properties and I let the properties, the, the hunt on the property dictate how long I stay on each property. If okay. I, if I'm what I'm seeing then I'm going to give that property more time, but I've got my property out to where I know I'm going to cover X amount of properties that night, no matter if I do give each uh, certain properties a little more time. Yeah. So you've got your time map. So you know what your drive times are and everything else. And, and I guess going back to the log book, that would help too, knowing, you know, what times or when or where or, yep. or what's adjacent to, or I guess then we go back to the wind and we can go back to all those different variables. Um, Jay, how about you? Cause I already know this answer, but I'll let you. So tournaments, I, uh, well, we're lucky to be on stand for 20 minutes. Um, I mean, 25 is pushing it when we're running tournaments. Um, if we have dogs and we're working them in, we will stay. Um, but if they're not there within, you know, 35 minutes, we're gone 40 minutes and that's pushing it. I mean, if I'm not tournament hunting, I'll, I'll stay out there for 30 minutes or so 40 minutes, but 
I don't stay long. I, I like to do my 20 minute sets and move on. <laughs> yeah. Time, time is numbers. Yep. Okay. All right. So what other, what other input without, you know, giving away the farm here on, on tournament stuff, would you guys add, say somebody's wanting to get into tournaments or they're, you know, and do you recommend hunting with lights? Do you recommend thermal? I mean, we all know that we're going to say, go thermal. If you can afford to get yourself set up on a nice thermal rig, which we have here at top 10 headquarters, please come see us. But, um, if you, if you get into it as a beginner on the tournament I, side, I, I don't even know if I'd say on a tournament side, even just getting into it as a beginner, I guess my, my, what I would say to someone is patience, like you're it. I, I bet it took me, I would say probably year three before I really felt confident that I can go out and kill dogs. And it's like, well, stay at it, listen, ask questions, don't give up because right. when it happens, it's like a light switch. As soon as you, as soon as you figure it out, you'll know you figured it out and you'll grow from there. And sometimes that could take you three years. It might take you five years, right. but don't get frustrated and give up. That would be my biggest thing to tell somebody is just stay patient, ask questions, listen to top 10 podcasts. Obviously that would going to help you out a little right, bit. Right. Um, and knowing somebody like a Jay Flynn, a Joe Bartos, um, you know, Pamela's brother, David, just knowing people like that, asking questions, trying different things. And I'm telling you, it's like a light switch. You'll go from not killing, not seeing, not hearing to killing dogs. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think there's a lot to be said, whether it's tournament or just, just getting into it and just absorbing things like a sponge, you know, everybody takes the time to do all these things for deer. Well, I'm going to be the first to tell you, and I know all of you guys are going to vouch for me when I say this at times, these coyotes can be way tougher to hunt than deer. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, just as fun. And sometimes even a little bit more exciting. I know when you, you get three or four of them coming in at uh, at a time. I mean, I'm I'm all about killing big deer, and I love it. Um, and uh, but uh, I I love the I love the the fast and furious, like you said, Randall, on uh, jumping around and, and being able to, you know, the challenge of calling them in. It kind of combines a little bit of turkey and deer and everything all in one. Yeah, it really does. So I guess uh, I'll give you guys a few minutes here, each of you, to kind of add something else, and, and we'll we'll kind of wind things down. I don't want to keep you guys uh, busy all night on everybody's got families to get back to and whatnot, but uh, and, and a tournament to prepare for for the weekend. So give me, I guess we'll start with uh, you, Pamela, ladies first, and, and tell me anything else that you could add just in general about coyotes that we haven't touched on right now. Oh, that we haven't touched on. I, I guess I can't say much about the, anything that we haven't touched on, but just that, you know, give, give it a chance. And it's fun. I mean, honestly, I, like I said, we, we all do deer. I'm passionate about elk, but this has, this season is something that I look forward to probably more than any other season at this point. And, um, for me to say that within a year, like I said, been hunting my whole life. Um, it's, it's definitely, I'm becoming more passionate about doing this than, than some of my other stuff and, um, to give it a chance and listen to the podcast and, um, you know, put in the time because once you, once you figure it out, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably get back uh, more on that. We'll probably do some more in-depth stuff. Um, as we, we move away from tournament stuff when you guys are, are super busy and maybe get, uh, more of you guys on to go a little more in depth about certain aspects of, 
the particular hunt or particular call sequences or why we do this or why we don't do that. Um, but just kind of touching base and doing a little bit of round table. And I think we're, we're covering a long ways. Randall, what, what do you have to add? Well, I, I would say, um, I know, of course, obviously we all have to start somewhere, right? Right. Um, but if you want a game changer, you got to get a thermo. I don't care if it's in your hand or on your gun. Um, you, you can go out with night vision. You can go out with glass, but turning, keeping those lights off, keeping things out of your face other than, and putting a thermo in your hand. I mean, just being able to find these guys in, in areas that you're not going to see them with night vision or scope. Um, and, and then turning the lights on to do what you got to do is that's the game dangerous thermo. And then obviously eventually, if you can, if you can put a thermo on your gun, then that's, that's, it's a game changer. 100%. Mm. Yeah, I agree. You it kind of spun me into something else there for a second with that too. We've talked about, a lot of night stuff. Do any of you guys still hunt during the day or I know during the tournaments we will make some day sets and a lot of times into the early mornings and, and then sleep in for an hour or two and then get back after it. But you guys still hunt during the day and is anything different versus your day sits? I know Jay, you used to do a lot of day hunting. How much do you do now? I don't, I don't know as much. We haven't talked about that, but I don't, I do it during the tournaments. That's about it. Okay. Do you guys do anything different when you're doing the day stuff? Mm, no, not really. Um, that, when I do daytime, yeah, that's when I used to do a lot of distress, but more on hand calls. Okay. Yep. Try to make it as real as I can. Okay. Randall, Pamela? We're, we're kind of running. I mean, we, the, they're you know, generally tournaments kick off 7 o'clock, somewhere in that ballpark, and and you, you've rested up all day to start that seven o'clock and you're generally going to seven in the next morning. So I guess, and you got another night to go generally. So, uh, we might do a couple of those, uh, first daylight sets. Um, but if one, maybe two, and then it's, it's time to get a little bit of a break and get home and get, and get ready for the, the seven o'clock the next, the next evening. Okay. Yeah, we, we only do the, the day sitting during tournaments just to get us out there early. Um, you know, sometimes we'll throw that you have the little decoys you can put on top of your, your call. You know, that's one thing that we do try a little bit during the day. Can't say that it necessarily has helped. Not sure. We haven't done it enough to really tell us, but that's that's the only thing that we've really tried differently during the day. Okay. I run a, de- uh, a decoy on my call at night as well. I don't know if any of you guys okay. do or not, but... Um, no. I- I can't say that it helps or hurts either, Pamela. You know what I mean? I, I've had some some coyotes come in that seemed like they were super focused on it, but were they keyed into the sound only, or did they right. actually see that that decoy there? Who knows, um, I guess, but it worked once, so I keep using it, right? Sure. So, Jay, what else would you add um, as a whole? All right. So, two things I'll add to, to wind this down is, number one is educating coyotes. You don't want to educate them if you can not educate them if that makes sense good point no miss shots so yeah so obviously you want to if you call in a double you want to try to obviously kill the double but if one gets away you know you can still come back and kill that coyote but i wouldn't come back the next night you know what i mean i'd give it a little time and then i would come back and touching on that is properties you need multiple properties to be successful coyote hunter in my eyes, because yep. Yep. you know I I have tournaments or not I think that's that have thousands of acres that I hunt, and then I have 
you know, little residential homes that are, you know, five to 10 acres that I hunt and mm-hmm. just helping people out from cats to, you know, sheep, you know, cattle, whole bunch of different stuff, horse farms I hunt. But that's the thing is I have, you know, you look on my Onyx and you, you'll see probably over hundreds of coyote heads on there and they're literally all coyote properties that right. I have. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a good oh, that's, point. That's property is huge. I have the property. And I think especially when you start decide that you're going to make uh, a run at any kind of tournament stuff, you you need a bunch of that in your back pocket because you don't know what the wind's going to do. You don't know what the weather's going to do. Entry fees aren't cheap. Some of these tournaments are, are, are um, you know, pretty competitive, lots and lots of teams. So, you know, if you don't have the sources to get out there and, uh, you know, cover some different ground, or if you're a regular hunter, uh, you, you're hunting these properties, all of a sudden you're – you know, regularly killing coyotes when it comes tournament time, you don't, you know, I don't want to say you don't have any coyotes to kill, but you're, you know, you've already tested the waters if you will. So that presents an issue. Okay. Well, I don't, uh, I don't have anything particular unless any of you guys do else to add. Um, just kind of wanted to get everybody on and talk about, uh, you know, just what we do from, uh, outside of the, the deer side for us. And, and we, we do a lot of coyote hunting on the team. And, uh, right. I think, I think there's a handful of us that, that maybe even do that a lot more than they do deer hunting, but, uh, it was a good round table. I appreciate all you guys' time and coming in and adding to, adding to the coyote round table tonight. And I wish all you guys, you know, great luck in the tournament this weekend. And Thanks, uh, Dan. yeah, hopefully Thank you guys can uh, bring home the uh, the trophy for Team Top Ten. We'll try. Well, you know, uh, you know, I'll be uh, trying my little a for effort, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Dan, and uh, uh, good luck, Pamela and, and Jay, and and I wouldn't. It doesn't make no difference to me if, if whichever team brings it. Let's bring it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, hey, let's sure. all work on placing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, take the just bring the top three. Right. <laughs> Back yeah, to top ten. That's <laughs> All right, guys. I appreciate it. We'll wrap it up tonight. And again, uh, thanks for thanks for joining me and uh, the team top ten coyote hunters. Yep. Have a good night, guys. You too. Everybody. Yep.